This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parshat Vayichi, everybody. It says, This is the end of the Pasuk. You should do for me a chesed ve'emes, something that's chesed and also emes. Do not bury me in Mitzrayim. I don't want to be buried in Mitzrayim. So Rashi tells us that Yaakov had three reasons why he didn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim. We'll see another couple reasons later on. Number one, by the Makos. Makas Kinim was going to turn the ground into lice. Every bit of the ground is going to turn into lice. They would swarm beneath his body. They would damage him. Said Yaakov don't bury me in Mitzrayim. I don't want to be bothered by Makas Kinim. Number two, anyone who dies in Chutzlar, as he says, comes back to life through the pain of something called Tsar Gilgal Mechilos. You're going to roll through the ground in order to get from one place to the other. Said Yaakov, you know, I don't want to go through Tsar Gilgal Mechilos, therefore do not allow me to be buried in Eretz Mitzrayim. Number three, he didn't wish for the Egyptians to worship him as a god. He didn't want to be known as a god in, among the Egyptians, and therefore he said, don't bury me in Mitzrayim. So let's go through all of these altogether. First of all, the Sibsa Chamim, the Mizrahi, the Gurari, says the Rashi was not satisfied with one of those answers. He needed all three. The reason why is because if you would just answer because of the lice swarms, that he wanted to be buried outside of Egypt because of the lice swarms, just get an iron casket that the lice wouldn't go into and then you wouldn't have to worry about it. If you get an iron casket surrounded completely and sealed, then you'll never be able to be affected by the kingdom. So it can't be that it's just that. It's got to be also because of Gilgal Mechilos that there's going to that pain of going on. So he said, wait a second, but then you wouldn't have to go all the way. You would just have to promise that you take his body out when you leave Mitzrayim. Put him in an iron casket and then take him out when they left Mitzrayim, like what Yosef and the Shvatim did. They didn't ask to be taken out right then. Why did he ask to be taken out right then? So therefore, it must be because of the third reason he didn't wish for the Egyptians to worship him as a god. He was worried about them worshiping him as a god. That's why you need all three reasons altogether. The Kliyakr says the first and last reason are connected to one another. Meaning, do you know why they would begin to worship his body as a god? Because the dirt around him won't be affected by the lice. When the people would see that the Maka affected all the ground around him and the ground around him wouldn't be affected by the lice because he was a tzaddik and he didn't deserve to be damaged, once that happened, then it would be, he, would, he, he said, I, I, I know they're going to start worshipping my body, they're going to start using me as a god. And as we'll see later on, the Medjah says he was worried that the Egyptians would start praying for, to him to stop the Makos. Which makes a ton of sense. He'll go, the Mitzrayim are going to go up and they're going to say, look, this guy is not affected by the Makos. Yaakov, you know, their father is not affected by the Makos. They'll go to Yaakov. They'll beg for him to save them. And then you have either one of two ways. Either Yaakov is going to daven for the Mitzrayim to be saved while after he's already passed away. And if he davens for them, then everything's going to work for them. Or there's going to be a huge Chalashem because they're saying not even Yaakov you know, can save us from the Makos. Yaakov you know, clearly doesn't have any power. One of those two things would happen. Step where Yaakov you know, said, I don't want to do this. I don't want this whatsoever. Tiferes Yonason says that's also why he didn't want to go to Eretz Goshen. Eretz Goshen was given to Sarimenu as part of her ksuba by Paro when Paro originally gave it to her and it was given to her as a gift when they left Mitzrayim. She owned Eretz Goshen. Technically, Eretz Goshen could be considered land of Eretz Yisrael and that's why they ate the Korban Pesach there. When they were leaving Mitzrayim, they ate the Korban Pesach. The Korban Pesach can only be eaten in Yushalayim, can only be eaten near Yushalayim. They were able to eat it there because Goshen had that status, something that was special and therefore was able to do that. Yaakov Avinu could have been buried in Goshen, but he said, no, I don't want to be there because he knew that Goshen would not be affected by the Kenan, and he thought that the people would think that the reason why it's not affected by Kenan was because of him, not because of the other Jews. So therefore he said, don't let me be buried in Goshen. Yeah. Why wouldn't they worship Yosef? 
Why wouldn't they worship Yosef? It's part of the reason why he was thrown into the river. So in theory, they could have worshipped Yosef as well. But I think Yaakovinu was a different type of figure. Yaakovinu had the different, the Avos type of thing, where he gave the bracha to Paro, and immediately the rov stopped. I think they would have treated him differently. I think that was it, Mati. They would have treated him differently. Yosef is the one who... Uh, translated the dreams and then worked like a dog. I understand that, but toward the end of his life, you notice we don't hear anything about him. I think it was different. The way Yaakovino ended his life, it seemed on a very, very high note. The way Yosef ended his life didn't seem like it was on a high note. I think that's the major difference between Yaakov and Yosef when it comes to this. I'm not positive. This is just my theoretics, but I think that's the idea behind it. Revel Yashiv says, and the truth is, I, I don't know if I want to go through this entire remez over here, but Revel Yashiv says that Hashem had planned on taking the children out, B'nai Yisrael out, in a wondrous fashion, in a paladic fashion, with awesome makos, tremendous miracles, and all these things happen. He was afraid they would lose it if he was buried in Mitzrayim. And the reason why is because there's a lot of avodah in the world. There's a lot of different types of avodah and all these statues that people worship and do, etc. But the most powerful statue that one has is Lo Sase Licha Thessal. Don't make yourself into an idol. Treating yourself as an idol is probably the worst. Thinking you're better than everyone else and thinking you're the greatest person on earth. He was afraid the Egyptians would see something in him that they had not seen up until now that would affect their treatment of B'nai Yisrael. Meaning, they would allow them to become friendlier with the Jews and allow the Jews to be part of that nation. Look, your great-great-grandfather Yaakov buried himself here. He considered himself a part of this land. And therefore, they're all friends. They're all there. When Yaakov Vinu said, do not bury me for even a second in Mitzrayim. I don't want to be here at all. Get me out of here. Get my body out of here. I don't even want to be here when I'm dead. When they did that, the Mitzrayim immediately looked askance at the Jews. Looked at the Jews and said, what, you guys think you're too good to be buried here? You guys think that you're not good enough? That we're not good enough for you? Immediately they treated the Jews as they were a little something different and they kept Goshen as this alienated land. In their minds, they said, let's keep the Jews there so we don't have to deal with them. Because they were so mad that Yaakov chose to leave Mitzrayim. If Yaakov would have stayed there, they would have been friends with them. That would have caused tremendous intermarriage. That could have caused the Jews to not deserve to have the Makos happen for them. Maybe Kriyas Yamsuf wouldn't have happened because of that. Who knows if more Jews would have assimilated and more than four-fifths of B'nai Yisrael would have died. That's the reason why Akadosh Baruch Hu said, why Yaakov said, don't bury me in Mitzrayim. Keep me separate. Make the Egyptians hate us. Make, keep the Egyptians as far away from us as possible. We'll retain our Jewish identity. We'll keep our names and our language and our clothes, etc. And that will keep it. By me leaving, everybody will say, oh, they don't want to be part of us. Fine. That's the idea behind it. That was a tremendous plan that he did over here. Was Yaakov ever buried in Egypt, though? Was he ever buried in Egypt? In Nazir, Perak Tes Mishnah Gimel. It says you're supposed to take, if a person is buried in a certain area, you're supposed to take three etzbos of dirt, that's this much, this much dirt from where the person died, where he was buried originally, if you're going to take him to another place, take three etzbos of dirt from that first place and bring it to the other place. The Gemara in Nazir, and Dafsamache says we learn it from Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu said the words, then when you take me to bury me, it's unasasani, carry out with me some of the dirt when you bury me in Eretz Canaan. From this Pasuk, we learn that Yaakovinu said, you should carry me along with a little bit of the dirt of Eretz Mitzrayim into Eretz Canaan. And we learn from there that when you move a mace from one place to the other, what does it sound like? It sounds like Yaakov was buried in Mitzrayim for a little bit. It sounds like he was buried. Something did happen to him there. In fact, the Moshev Zikanim asked it as a question. How could it be that we learn the halacha from here if Yaakov Vinu was never buried in Mitzrayim? 
Now, the Tosis Yom Tov says simply he wasn't buried there. It's an Asmachta we learn from this puzzle, but it's not for real, right? The Moshe of Zakinim from Rabbeinu Chaim says that it could be that Yaakov says, if you would bury me here, then you'd have to carry out the dirt. I don't want you to take any dirt of Egypt with you when you bring me to Eretz Canaan. Therefore, don't bury me here. I don't want any of the dirt to come with me. Maybe that's what he was saying over here, and that's the idea behind it. But the Chizkuni seems to say they did bury him for a little bit in Mitzrayim. The Chizkuni, the Pashtun, in the way it looks from the Psukim, it seems they did bury him for a little bit in Mitzrayim, and then they took him out along with that dirt and put it in Eretz Canaan. So together, in Ma'aras Machpelah, with Yaakov's body, is a little bit of dirt from Eretz Mitzrayim. It could be that they took a little bit of the dirt and they brought it over there. That explains something that's been bothering me for years. I've never understood it. They made an avelus for all the people in Mitzrayim for Yaakov Avinu after he died. How can you do avelus for a person before he's buried? How is that possible? So yes, there are Rishonim that say before Matan Torah, you could do Avelis before a person is buried. That's possible. You're allowed to do it before a person's buried. And I guess that makes sense over here. But with this Chizkuni, it makes a lot of sense. They did bury him in Mitzrayim only for seven days. They put him down in the ground for seven days, left his body in there for seven days, did Avelis, and then pulled the body out, took a little bit of the dirt with them, and brought it to Eretz Canaan. Amazing, right? But it, that's the shot. That's the idea behind it, what they were able to do, how the Chizkuni answers over here. There is a Tosus that argues on that, and Moed Kat and Dabchotam and Aleph, the Rabbin of Achaya also argues on it. Regardless, that's how the Chizkuni learns, and it makes a ton of sense. Regarding the first reason, the Yaakun was afraid that his cover would be affected by the lice swarms, right? That were Kinem and the Kinem would come there or whatever. The simple question you can ask is just, how in the world did he think he was going to be affected by Kinem? Kinem was going to hit the Mitzrayim, not the Jews. Why would the Jews be affected by Kinem? Yaakov Avinu wouldn't even even if the Jews deserved to be hit by Kenan, even if the Jews were evil and bad things were happening to them and they were bad people, they deserved to get some of the Makos. There's no way Yaakov Avinu deserved to get Kenan. How in the world is Yaakov Avinu getting that? What's the shot behind that? Aside from that, the lice only took over the first three tfachim of the ground. Now, granted, that's a lot. The first three tfachim of the ground is nine inches. So nine inches of the ground would have been affected. But Yaakov wasn't buried within the first nine inches of the ground. If you bury a person, you know how far down it goes? You don't do nine inches. You go down a couple feet. So what's Yaakov being worried about? Yaakov says, don't bury me in Mitzrayim. Why? Because I'm worried about the Kenan. But the Kenan would never go on anywhere near his body. The body would have been all the way down. It wouldn't have been that high. What was he really worried about? So the Miyamaloes seems to say that Yaakovin was worried that they'd put him in a cave. And in caves, you don't dig down beneath the earth. You put them right into the earth, right on top. They don't dig down very deep. They just put them inside, almost like a catacomb. And they put them inside, and that's that. Therefore, he would have been affected by the lice, because the lice would have been there right over there. The Medrash Rabbah and Perak Yud, Halacha Zayin, says the exact same thing, that he was worried about that. The Yelis Hashachar says a little bit differently. He wasn't worried about being affected by Kenan. Yaakovinu knew he was at Tzadik. He's not going to be affected by Kenan. He was worried about being in punished ground. He's going into the ground and the ground is punished. The ground is being punished by Hashem. He didn't want to be a part of that. There's no way. Being around Midas Adin when it happens does not bode well even for the greatest Sadiqim. Even the greatest Sadiqim don't want that to happen to them. That's why he wanted out immediately and that's the Pshad. The all Aryeh asks that question that everyone says. He says, Yaakov would have been buried, I mean, would have been buried in the land of Goshen. 
In that land, they would have been affected by Kenan. Why would he have to worry about that if he would have been over there? He was afraid that the kings would insist that he be brought into Eretz Mitzrayim itself. That's what he was really afraid of and what's going to be over there. I don't know. All these answers are good, but it seems like they're missing something. It seems like something's missing from all of this. The old Yoshua, again, says he was never worried that the lice would affect him. This is all Yoshua. It's different from the old Arya. But the old Yoshua says he was worried that the ground around his kever would turn into lice, meaning he wasn't buried in ground anymore. He was buried in lice. Not just that he's in a land of punishment, but he's buried into lice itself. The Magadios says, if you look carefully at Rashi, that's exactly what he says. He's not worried about the lice affecting him. He's worried about the lice going under his body, about him being surrounded by lice. And that would have been disgusting. He didn't want that to happen. All of this. Makes a ton of sense that he just didn't want to be around this whatsoever. But really, Makos would have affected Yaakov? Did it even affect the Jews? So there is an Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra in Parshas Va'era says that the Jews were affected by the Makos up until Makas Arov. Dam, Svardea, and Kinim all affected the Jews. By Makas Arov, it stopped. By Makazorov, it says, Vihiflesi. I'm differentiated between the Jews and the Egyptians, but up until then, the Makos affected the Jews as well. Now, that makes sense to me, and I'll tell you why. Granted, by Makas Dam, we all know that the blood did not affect the Jews. Why didn't it affect the Jews? Because they drank water. Every time the Egyptians had a little bit of blood, they drank water and they had no problems whatsoever. And that makes sense, right? They had the water. But don't you think it's disgusting to look at a river and see it as bloody? I always was bothered when my teachers told me when I was in fourth grade, they said, don't worry, if you took a cup of blood and you drank it, it turned into water in your mouth. Who is taking, a, do you know how disgusting that is? To take the thing of blood and be like, it's going to turn into water. Oh, it worked. This is disgusting. This viscous, syrupy substance that seems like blood, you're putting it in your mouth and somehow it turns into water. That's disgusting of itself. That couldn't have been easy. The fish were all dead. You had stinky fish all over the place. You had stinky fish all over. There's no question that we're affected by it. Svardea sounded like crazy people yelling all the time. They had frogs croaking. Do you mean to tell me none of the Jews heard it? Of course the Jews heard it. The Jews heard it. They just were farther away because they were in Goshen, but of course they heard Svardea. It's where they were all over the place. Just the frogs didn't crawl into their bodies. The frogs didn't jump on top of them. They didn't ruin their structures. That's great, but they were still affected by the frogs. The kingdom, the lice, any time, no matter what. Have you ever seen a person with lice? You ever seen it? Even if it's not on you, you feel dirty. You feel disgusting. It's, it's not... It doesn't look normal, especially if you're going to have all the dirt around you filled with kingdom all the way up and the kingdom run away from you. That's still disgusting. You're living in a vermin-filled land. That's absolutely disgusting. Why in the world would you want to be there? It's just right there. It makes sense to me that it did seem disgusting and it did affect them in some way, shape, or form. The Rambam says it in Parish Mishnah and Perky Elvis as well, and there are a few Rishonim that say the same. The Jews were affected up into a point. Yeah. I don't see the... Frogs, yeah, and I get your point on those. But the keening, I, I guess I would say I don't understand why the keening would affect them any differently than the other makos because they obviously saw the other things and heard the other things. I mean, it would seem like it would be along the same. I think all I think it might be, and you're right because Dever would have been a difficult one as well. Pestilence when all the animals died all around them, they would also be affected by, and there's dead bodies everywhere, dead carcasses. Can't answer that completely. The only way. 
thing that it might be is that the lice took over the land even near Goshen, while the dead animals were only in the land of Mitzrayim, not in the land of Goshen. So therefore, they didn't see any dead bodies, dead carcasses of the animals, but they did see the lice. The lice took over some of the land, or the people that were filled with lice, the Egyptians, were coming into Goshen for any type of respite. So they were filled with that. So it looked like, you know, Pigpen, I think it is, from the Snoopy comics all the way back when. You saw a guy like Pigpen walking into your neighborhood. That would be that. Correct, and Goshen was part of Sarah's territory, so it never went into Goshen either. Oh. Yes, the Arba never went there. There's a couple. I, I, it, it's a little strange. There, it, the Rambam seems to say that all the Makos affected the Jews. The same way it affected the Egyptians, just not as badly. But it seems, at least, I can understand it that the Kinnim did, and that's what Yaakovina was afraid of. It's still disgusting. It's still rancid to be around there. The Kliyakr says that Yaakov knew he wouldn't be affected by the Kinnim, because he knew he was one of the seven people who never had Rima Visola after death. The Gemara says in Baba Basra Yud Zion Alf that there are seven people who will never be affected by rot after they died, meaning their bodies will remain whole and perfect no matter what, not even a tiny little bit of a worm. Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, that's the Yaakov that we're talking about here, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, and Binyamin Atzadik. Says the Kliyakar, he knew that. If his body wasn't going to be affected by maggots or worms or anything like that after death, then you'd assume it would be unaffected by lice. You would assume that it would be that way as well. So it's therefore he wasn't worried about the lice affecting him. He was worried instead, like we said before, what the Egyptians would think when he wasn't affected by lice. The whole land is filled with lice, and his area, his land is not, they're going to start thinking of him as a god. Says the Kliyakar, that's the shot behind it, and it has to be that way, because there's no way the lice would affect him. If he's not going to be affected after death by rot, why would this have affected him? That's how he understands it. The Dasikanim, though, ask it as a question. They say, why did Yaakov, why was Yaakov worried about the Elias, about the Kinim? Why would he be worried about that if he knew he wasn't going to be affected by rot after his death? And if you look at the Dasa Kinim, actually, he says, if he knew that Binyamin wasn't going to be affected by rot after his death, and Kol Shekane him. It's almost like he knew about Binyamin, but he didn't know about himself. Or the Gemara, in the times of the Dasa Kinim, didn't have Yaakov as part of its girsa. It's that Binyamin didn't have any rot after death, but didn't, didn't mention Yaakov. I don't know why, but it's a very strange Dasa Kinim over there. But it could be obvious. Maybe Yaakov didn't know he was going to be unaffected by rot. Maybe he had no idea that it was going to happen, or he's taking precautions. We all say that idea of Shemei Gromachet. Maybe something would happen, something would happen to him. Who knows what's going to be over there? I, I, I'm not sure how to go through this, right? But either way, it's pretty obvious. He didn't want to be involved in this mako whatsoever, in any which way, therefore he got out of it. If you look at the Igritakawa, and I'm not going to be able to go into this because I so badly want to understand what the Igritakawa is saying, he says that this maka of Kinnim is the Mida of Hod of the Ten Spheros. He says that's what it is. And then he goes through and says that Yaakovinu himself was connected to that Mida of Hod as well, which he was pogamed by marrying two sisters. Now, I, I, I don't understand it fully because we always think of Yaakovinu as being this Tiferes, Rachamim, the, the, uh, another one of the Midos, to say that he's Hod is strange. But again, this is stuff that I don't specialize in. You need somebody who really knows. The Igritakala is somebody who really knows. So he says that there's Hod by that Maka, Hod by Yaakov. He thought, therefore, it was going to affect him. Maybe there was a Pshad. Maybe the Pshad is that Yaakov really is Tiferes, but he was pogamed in the Mida of Hod by marrying two sisters, whatever that means. And therefore, the Hod would affect him. But that's something that's beyond my pay grade again, so we're not going to go into it. Why, why was Yaakov afraid he would be treated as a god? What did he think the Egyptians would treat? him as a god for, right? Why would he be that way? So the Miyamloi says, we all know what happened. When Yaakov came to Mitzrayim, what happened to the hunger? 
immediately davened. And what happened at the, at, by the hunger? The hunger all stopped. So the Egyptians already treated him as special. When he died, it could be that people would treat him even more special. People would do that. Reb Yaakov Abu Chatzera, the Albir Yaakov, the grandfather of the Baba Sali, is buried in Dimanur in the middle of Egypt. And I've been told, I don't know this for sure, but I've been told by people that I think know this type of thing, that people still go, not just Jews, but Arabs, Egyptian Arabs, go to the the Abir Yaakov's kever. They go to the Abir Yaakov's kever to Davin. They ask the tzaddik, the Jewish tzaddik, to be able to help them. Now, the Abir Yaakov actually came from Morocco, from Tunisia, from Morocco and Tunisia. He came from that area, was traveling to Eretzrol, died on the way in Mitzrayim and asked to be buried there. So I don't know what that means exactly. You're dealing with people that, again, are way beyond my pay grade. But he's there outside. And according to this, says to me, I'm Loez, he was really worried that when they saw the hunger stop, they would start praying by him when he died. Once they start praying by him and they see their prayers are answered, they're going to start treating him as a God, lowercase g. That's what he's worried about. And he said, get me out of here. The Verba Sada says even more so. He was worried they would open up their kever at some point. He would open up, they would open up his kever. For whatever reason, they'd open up his kever. And remember, what are the Egyptians heavily into? Mummification, preserving the body, making the body whole. They mummify the body so that the body remains as whole as it possibly can be. They're going to open up his kever at one point, and they're going to see a perfectly whole body that never rotted, and everything looks perfect as if he just died yesterday. They're going to be shocked by this. And when they see this, just like they treat their own mummies as gods, they're going to treat Yaakov as a god as well. That's what he's worried about. And that makes a ton of sense that they would treat him that way because of what happened to his body. The Mizrahi said he was worried that if they did treat him as this god, he was going to be punished along with all the other gods in Mitzrayim. Balzaphon was killed. The sheep were nailed. The Nile River was nailed. Paro himself, anything that was considered a god, even if it really wasn't something they worshipped in Mitzrayim, was destroyed in some way, shape, or form. The last thing Yaakov wanted to be, was to be part of those makos. And if he would have been treated as a god, even if he knew he wasn't, even if nobody wanted, he didn't want anyone to go near it. Didn't matter. He would be punished. He said, I want out. I want out. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be treated whatsoever in that way. Then you get into Gilgal Machilos. And as I said before, not my specialty. Not going to get into this as my specialty, but there's a shot behind this. Al Natik Bereni, says the Rabbin Ophraim, is a gematria of 854, which is a gematria of Tsar Machilos, the pain of those tunnels. It's by far the strangest dance for Rashi. And by far the hardest one for us to understand. I'm going to quote the Rabbeinu Bechaya. Rabbeinu Bechaya says, Being buried in Eretz Yisrael gives you a special kapara you cannot get in any other way. As it says, V'chiper admaso amo. The people that are buried in the ground get a special kapara that goes through them. He says, Shara Shamayim, the gates of the heavens, are in Eretz Yisrael. And anybody who's been to the Kotal understands that. You feel your tefillos are going straight up in some way, shape, or form. The Shara Shamayim is in Eretz Yisrael. Your tefillos, your korbanos, literally go straight up to Hashem. And even the neshamos of a person are able to go up straight if they're buried in Eretz Yisrael. They're able to go straight up to Eretz, straight up to Yeshiva Shomayla, to the base Mikdash above. Anyone who dies outside of Eretz Yisrael has to go around, says the Ravina Bechaya. They have to go around somehow. They get blocked and they don't have a straight path up. They have to go around in some way to get to Eretz Yisrael and eventually go up there. And I guess the same way that there are, you know, shomrim that watch people from getting into Eretz Yisrael. So you can't get in from Gaza. You can't get in from Egypt. They have border patrols, right? There's spiritual border patrols as well. So if you're buried outside of Eretz Yisrael and your neshama tries to get in, in order to go up from Eretz Yisrael, your neshama gets stopped by the border patrol. 
And hopefully it's not as long as those lines in El Al in, in, in what's it called, in the airport when he got to Ben Gurion. Those lines where like nobody knows where anyone's going because there's like a thousand people all standing all over the place. And you like think there's a line right here, and then all of a sudden you find you're in no mansville, and like you're looking to the side and they're like, no. And then you look at the other side and they're like, no, right? And you can't go anywhere, and then you realize you're in the Darkonian part with the Israeli passports, and <laughs> you didn't even realize because you just went on a long flight and you're dead tired and you were over, you stayed overnight somewhere for like six hours, and then you're expected to follow all the rules when you get there. I mean, it's just not that it happened to me. That other guy, the other guys that it happens to. What do you expect? You're 17 years old. You have no idea what you're doing. You're going to Eretz Yisrael. I remember, I think I was in that passport line for literally my first six months of being in Eretz Yisrael. I'm pretty sure I stayed there. I lived off the kosher pizza hut that's right in front. There's nothing else you can do. What are you supposed to do? You have no idea. This idea goes spiritually as well. You're blocked. You're blocked and you can't get in. And there's nothing your soul can do. The tsar happens even more at the end of days. Those in Eretz Yisrael come out of their graves immediately. They see the Pnei Ashkina. Those outside of Eretz Yisrael have to roll their underground. The bodies have to roll their underground. As much as the Neshamas are going above ground, the bodies are rolling their underground through tunnels like worms for their Tchiyas for Amesim when they get to see the Shechina itself. That's what they have to do according to the Rabbeinu Bachaya. And it's painful. It's painful to be able to wiggle your way through to get all the way to Eretz Yisrael, whatever that means and however that's supposed to be. It's a scary thing to go through. Maskele David said, great Sadiqim will have bigger tunnels. The tunnels will be like big ones. And you'll be able to walk straight there. Now that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it could be that Yaakovina was worried that he wouldn't be Zoha one of those tunnels. He'd be Zoha to that tunnel. You know, the one that I'm going to get. That's going to be like that really, like the hard one. And you're like digging like a little star-nosed mole trying to get there. That's what you're worried about. That Yaakovina was worried about that. And he wasn't sure. So he said, bring me to Eretz Yisrael now. The all Arye quotes from Shalmi Shkolem. That says that those that die in Eretz Yisrael will get up for Tchiyas Amesim. 40 days before anyone who dies in Chutzlarts. It's really brought down the Yalkut Ruvenian number 27 over there. It doesn't say 40 days over there, but it's that. It says Yaakov, even though he was already in Gan Eden, nonetheless wanted the opportunity to get up for Tzchias Mesim earlier than those who were going to be outside of Eretz Yisrael. He thought that would be easier for them, and that's why he has to be buried there, and that's the idea behind it. Says Miam Loez, if you can't, if you're not able to be Zoha, to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, you should give Parnassa to someone who's living in Eretz Yisrael, so that it's as if you're living with that person. So that you can somehow support and says me, I'm always, it's even better for people to be able to learn inside Eretz Yisrael, even better for that to happen. Says me, I'm always, that counts as if you're there. And if you're there, it's clearly your body's going to be allowed in. Because you get to the border patrol and they say, why do you get to come in here? And you say, I live here. I live here. Where's your state of residence? And you give your credentials. This is who I paid for. And because I had that and I allowed somebody to live through me, therefore I live in Eretz Yisrael, you're able to get through so much quicker. That's what Miyam always says. The Chavetz Chaim said, that the Chavetz Chaim was asked the question, should I spend the money to bury my father in Eretz Yisrael, my mother and father in Eretz Yisrael, or should I take that money and support a Kolo family? The Chavetz Chaim told him that it would be much better to, to spend it on Talmidei Chachamim than to spend it on a burial spot in Eretz Yisrael. He said, even though Avram you know, overpaid for Ma'aras Machpela, he overpaid for Ma'aras Machpela. That's because nobody was learning Torah then. <laughs> Hear this? If, if, this is what he's saying, the Chavetz Chaim, if, Ma'aras Machpelo was the option. And Ephron said, 400 shekel kesef. And Avramvinu said to him, Avramvinu said, 400 shekel kesef? You know, how much that, you know how much that could support a Kolo family for 10 years? I'll spend it on that. I'll bury Sarimenu in a different place. That's what he would have told Ephron. 
Amaris Mahpela is not as worth it as trying to help out in a different way. That's amazing. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, that's that. The Ksam Silver Beat says, based on Ksubis Kufyal Yudal from the Bays, all the Mason will rise up in Yerushalayim. So the Ksam Silver asks, so why would Yaakov want to be buried in Amaris Mahpela in Hebron if you're going to be first brought back to life in Yerushalayim? And he answers, only the Ksam Silver can answer this. Only. It's a great question, right? Why would you go to Hebron? Why not go to Yerushalayim? If the whole problem is I want to get Tzachiyos Mason first, then go to Yerushalayim. That's where you should be, right? So he says, in the future, Lassid Lavo, Baba Basra, Ayin Hayam and Aleph says, Yerushalayim is going to grow and it's going to be the size of all of Eretz Yisrael. All of Eretz Yisrael is going to be Yerushalayim. So even Hebron of now is Yerushalayim in the future. So wherever you're buried in Eretz Yisrael, that's Yerushalayim, and you go up immediately, you get Tzchiyas Amesim immediately. Isn't that an amazing answer? Oh, I just, I'm silver. I wish I had a, I wish I had like one of his answers. Like I was Mechadish, like one thing out of his billions of Chidushim. Just once, I want to say like, I thought of that, just once. It's all I want. It's like, I'm not even asking that much. But no, that's, again, there are a few other reasons given by the Mephorshim, but I'm not going to go through them right now because I want to get to the end. The Miamalees gives a reason over here that's kind of obvious. He already had a burial spot. Why would he want to be buried in Egypt if he might as well? I'll answer later. But why would he want to be buried in Egypt if he could go straight to Eretz Yisrael? The Berbasade gave the answer up above that we gave the Raza to Meir. Medrash HaGadol has three different answers. One of them we mentioned up above. The Sforno gives another reason. The Orachayim HaKadosh gives a reason. All those are other reasons not mentioned by Rashi. So technically there are what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight other answers that are not given by Rashi as to why he wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael and, and not in in what's called the Mitzrayim itself. But the question is really, so should we be doing this? Chafetz Chaim notwithstanding, we see that the Minig by so many people, Minig, people are pushing themselves to get Kvarim in Eretz Yisrael. Should we be doing it or not? Should you be trying your hardest to be buried in Eretz Yisrael? So the Rambam writes in Hilchus Malachim, Perik Hey Halacha Yodal, that someone who's buried in Eretz Yisrael gets a special kapara, similar to what we said before from the Yalka Ruveni, even though it's not the same if he died in Chutzlart. If you die in Eretzrol and are buried in Eretzrol, you get a special schus. You get somewhat of that schus if you die in Chutzlart and you're buried in Eretzrol. Okay? That's because we see that even those who lived in Bavel and Moed Kutten in the third parak, we see they brought their bodies to Eretzrol to be buried near Tiveria. Right? We see, and we learn that from Yaakov and Yosef. That's how the Rambam understands it. In the Chuvos of Rambam, Chuvos of Rambam, in his Chuvos, he was told that a certain man who, whose parents longed to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, and they expressed that wish over and over again. Their son had no money, but after they died, listen to this, can you imagine, this is what it was like back then, he was able to convince someone who was traveling to Eretz Yisrael to carry their bones in a bag, carry their bones in a bag, and bring it with them and bury them somewhere near Yerushalayim. They, he did that. The guy did it. He said he did it. I don't know. But he said he did it. And then they asked the Rambam, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing that he did it? The Rambam answered, Hadover sha'asa tov ma'od. This is the wording of the Rambam. The thing that he did, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know if this was written in Arabic and we're translating to Hebrew. I think these are the words of the Rambam. Hadover sha'asa tov ma'od. V'kach asu gidole chachmi Yisrael. That's what the gidole chachmi Yisrael did. For that guy. Bones in a bag in a bag, and went ahead, and they brought him in, and that was considered enough. The Marsha seems to say the exact same thing in Baba Vasra Samachamid Beis. 
seemingly the exact same thing. In a few Midrashim, however, as well as the Yushalmi and the Zohar, in a few places, it seems that it's a terrible thing to bring to a mace, a mace to Eretz Yisrael after he's already died, if he died in Chutzlarz. It's metame the land, says the Zohar. It's literally metame the land, and it's a toeva. The wording of the Zohar is, it's an abomination to Eretz Yisrael to have a mace who died in Chutzlarz, and shouldn't be done at all. But... It could be there's a difference. Maybe there's going to be between people who stam want to be buried there and others who are real tzaddikim and ga'onim and deserve to be buried there. And maybe that's a difference between it. It would seem that someone who loves the land very much, like the case of the Rambam, and expresses the wish over and over and over again, then it would be allowed. But just stam yid to be buried in our stall because that's what people do, not because that person had any affinity toward Eretz Yisrael. There's a Jew like that. But not for any other reason other than that, maybe that's not the greatest thing to do. Maybe that wouldn't be based on those other Midrashim that are around there. It could also be that Yaakovinu never really died in Mitzrayim. And although we're not going to go into this now, it is a possibility, and there are Achronim that say, and I've mentioned it before from the Chochmas Minoach in, in what's it called, in uh, Tainus as well, that Yaakovinu never died in Mitzrayim. He went into a coma. He began to die in Mitzrayim. But the final death happened in Eretz Yisrael. And in fact, there's a Tosos right there in Tainus Hayamad Beis where it says, Yaakov Lomes. Tosos says, V'chein Mashma. Yeah, it sounds that way. It sounds like he never died. Because why? Because when Esav, remember when Esav's head was chopped off by Chushim Ben Dun, it rolled over. The Gemara in Sotadaf Yud Gimel says, Yaakov saw it and smiled. Okay? Except for being quite macabre, right? Aside from the obvious, right? Still, that shows you he might have been, he might have still been alive. Yaakov may have still been alive and then died in Eretz Yisrael and therefore was buried in Eretz Yisrael. It's possible that that's that and therefore it makes it. So again, so what should a person do? I'm not poskening for you. I'm just telling you the different Mephorshim. The minig is brought by the Medrash Talpios to place dirt from Eretz Yisrael onto a body that's being buried outside of Eretz Yisrael. That minig is brought by the Medrash Talpios probably a couple hundred years ago. Maybe they did it all the way time by the times of the Mekubalim, maybe a little bit earlier, right? But it seems they do it. They put it over the nifter. They take the, the dirt from Eretz Yisrael and they put it over the nifter's eyes, the stomach, as well as milaso. So it is as if he's buried in Eretz Yisrael. That's the minute if you can't be buried in Eretz Yisrael, if a person doesn't die in Eretz Yisrael. Rav Chaim Palaji said that one could accomplish this by being buried near the sea. Since all seas lead to Eretz Yisrael, they all go back eventually to Eretz Yisrael. So being buried near the sea might be an idea, but everybody yells at him and said they don't I don't understand where that comes from. That's not written anywhere. But that's an idea. But one thing that we do is exactly that. We put dirt on top of the mace, and that's considered as if they're buried in Eretz Yisrael. What an unbelievable little thing, though. Obviously, the best thing is to be buried and to have died in Eretz Yisrael. That's obviously there. But if a person can't do that for whatever reason, then those are the menhagim, those are the things that are out there. I'm sorry? Right. Or live in Eretz Yisrael, right? That's even better. No, yeah. No, that should be fine. But again, the Zohar doesn't mention that because the Zohar is not referring to that. Neither does the Midrashim, neither does the Yushalmi. None of them mention that. And they don't mention what to do with the maces in Chutzlaretz. They just mention, all they say is regarding bringing a mace from Chutzlaretz, who passed away in Chutzlaretz, bring him to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, and we have the Rambam. We have the Chubas Rambam, right? That, 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 express, that expressed wish of trying to be in Eretz Yisrael may be good enough for that to be a Lichat Chila to bury him in Eretz Yisrael itself. Yeah. 
halana, right? So there is there's an actual din of halana, especially in Yerushalayim, they have the minute to bury that very day. And the question really is, and that should be posed to a gadol, is it best to be over on halana in order to get the mace to Eretz Yisrael, in order for them to be buried there, or is it better for them to be buried on the day, since there are dinim and there are things that happen to the body after death before the body is buried, what to do? And that takes a gadol. That takes a real gadol to figure out. Now, no question. Yeah, meaning the Rambam's answer to that. No, because the wording he gives bechein asu gedolei chachme yisrael would be a little difficult to explain because he's not talking about keep it up the aim there. He's referring to hadavrash asatov maod. If it's just keep it up the aim, kach asu gedolei chachme yisrael. You'd have to show me a case where because of a parent's expressed wish, therefore the gedolim brought their parents to Eretz Yisrael. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to bringing the mace to Eretz Yisrael. That's what he's referring to, and that's the wording that he has over there. And the Marsha also and Baba Vasra says it pretty clear, right? Both of those are there. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.